Do you want or need to learn to make money online? Check out the Master Affiliate Marketing to 10K course. This is your first step to get started towards the life of freedom that you've been dreaming of. Go to mastersalesfunnels.com slash 10K to learn more. Hey everybody, this is Justin Coleman with the Master Sales Funnels podcast. Today I have a guest who is a multilingual global strategic marketing and sales consultant who has successfully driven growth in more than 100 countries. It is Andrew Deutsch. How are you doing today, Andrew? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure, sure. Um, you are the founder of Fangled Tech, is that correct? That's correct, yep. All right. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about Fangled Tech and what you do? Sure. We're, we're a strategy-first marketing and sales consultancy. So we, we help clients get really to the core of who their customer is, what are the needs, desires, pains, and then we work with our client to understand how they differentiate in ways that actually matter to that customer and also uh, put them in an adv advantageous space over all of the alternatives to the solutions to those problems that the customers have. And because of the way we're set up, we, we have relationships in about 120 different countries around the world. And if they want to go beyond that domestic strategy, we can build a core strategy that can take them almost anywhere in the world. So wow. once you build, and you know, the, the, the difference between us and an agency, we build that core strategy with our customer for the go-to-market, then we reach for the tools. Because tools, tools don't do you much good if you don't have a set of plans. Yeah, you definitely need a plan. So you kind of take businesses and help them figure out like their customer's journey, the, the buyer's journey. Is that, is that kind of what you map out? That's part of it. Uh, also, what is the true value proposition? Um, you know, so many times you'll hear sales teams going, well, you guys got to go out and sell the value, and they have no idea what that is. Or they're out promoting all of the great things that they're really proud of that the customer couldn't care less about. Their interests and their needs are other things that you do, you're unaware of. Um, yeah, it seems to be really hard for businesses to kind of put themselves second and their customers first. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I joke because I like to make up numbers that aren't real since I don't have a real statistics. We're going to say 90%. Uh, 90% of the, the, the clients that we work with don't really understand who their customer is and what their, what their needs and, and what, what makes them tick. And we really can dig into that and understand it because if you truly can listen and understand each of the different personas that do business with you, you then know what direction to follow, what are the things that are important to them. You know, nobody, you know, if, you, if you're a company proud that you source all of your steel in the United States, so it's all U.S. steel, and then you talk to your customer, they go, yeah, I need steel. That's not, what, what I'm interested in is, is your product safe? Is, will your product be able to increase my production? Will your product be able to make me money? There, there's real values and what you get out of it that the features have nothing to do with. So it's a, it's a, different, a different model, but, but at the end of the day, when you truly understand who that customer is and you meet them at that model of the world, it's so much easier for them to understand the value that you bring forward. Sure. So, yeah, market research, very important. Do you, like, survey their customers, create focus groups? More, more focus groups and, and direct groups. conversations with their customers. Who wants to fill out another survey? <laughs> uh, Unless you're making, you know, 50, 15 cents per, per survey. <laughs> uh, it's, if, if one more hotel sends me the survey after I leave the room, uh, 
and, and keep sending it and sending it, I'll stop going to that hotel chain. I think we are all surveyed out. <laughs> Get a one-star review just for sending too many surveys. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It happens. All right. So um, what types of businesses do you work with? Do you work with, like, smaller firms, larger firms? I noticed you said steel, so, like, manufacturing? Uh, up until maybe a year and a half, two years ago, almost all of our business was in the B2B industrial space, mostly manufacturers and industrial distributors. Mm -hmm. But we've expanded quite a bit just based on referrals and, and following an accomplishment. <clears throat> so now there's there's a good percentage. I would say somewhere between 20-25% of our business is in the consumer space now. The places uh -huh. we don't play, like for example, I don't do marketing for law firms, for insurance companies, highly regulated, because there's, there's so much uh, expertise that we don't have in-house for those, those markets mm -hmm. that we would prefer to refer them to folks who really specialize in that. Yeah, uh, stick to but, what you know. Yeah, it's, you know, there, there's the, just, just down to the language that has to be used, what you can and can't say um, in those markets is, is for a real specialized marketing agency approach, not, not us. Okay. Um, do you do any, like, auditing of the company itself? I mean, I know, like, a lot of issues for companies are having, like, marketing and sales talk to each other, basically, and kind of jive all, together. Is that what you all do? All the time. Yeah. All the time. It, it's, it's all part of really expanding how that company communicates with the customer and also internally. So, so often the, the challenge that a company has is they don't know their customer and they don't know each other within their own organization. You've got sales and marketing teams that are going to battle every day instead of working together on a common goal. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that a lot in companies that I've worked for and um, I'm just myself in my own business and I battle myself all the time, so it's, it's, it's ongoing. You ever give yourself a black eye? That wouldn't be good. <laughs> is, that, is that possible? <laughs> I don't know if I could hit myself that hard. I don't know, you let me know. <laughs> I wanna find out. Um, I see on your website that part of what you do is create what you call brand advocates for companies. You want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, what we tell every day, and people get sick of me saying it, but it's, it's who we are. We help our customers convert every touch into voracious advocates for their brand. And it really goes to the, the whole sales funnel conversation that we're, we're, we're probably leading to. Mm -hmm. If... In most, if you look at the old models of the sales funnel, you'll see whatever the sales process is going from awareness to purchase. You'll, you'll see old models, the marketing teams involved in the first two steps, and then they throw it over the wall to the sales team and they close and they get the business. And that model is so stale and gone because if you don't look all the way through the funnel together from sales and marketing to the point that you convert that guy who just bought or even the guy who loves your product but can't quite afford it now into someone who goes out and shouts from the hilltop how wonderful you are. You, you miss the opportunity for all of that, that free publicity. So, so in our model, the, the, the funnel looks like a funnel, but then it opens back up like an hourglass where we collect those advocates. And the marketing team is constantly working all the way through the process and focused on those <clears throat> that we've collected at the end. Because those people, you know, think about why when a company like Apple launches a product that nobody's ever touched and there's people around the block ready to buy it because they've created brand advocates that, that can't go away. 
in the industrial space. I, I was working for a long time in, in different industries. By, by coincidence, each of them ended up competing with 3M in the packaging industry and in the adhesives industry and, and others. And the one consistent thing you would hear from a buyer when you were talking to them, why do you do business with 3M? They had a mantra. Nobody ever got fired for buying from 3M. The, 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 the buyers became advocates because they knew buying from 3M, even if the pricing wasn't the best and otherwise, there would be, never be a product failure. There'd never be a late delivery because of the reputation of the company. And as an advocate for them, I'm an advocate because they keep me employed. So those are sort of two different models of what we're, what we're talking about there. And, yeah. and by the way, they, they can be beaten in the market. We've done it. But, but we had to fight that advocate, which was much harder than dealing with companies that didn't have that reputation with the buyers. Sure. Yep. It's all about customer service and making sure you're delivering what people actually want. Yep. And, and much more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it definitely, I think, starts with creating those those raving fans. Um, yep. I learned a lot about that in reading Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. I don't know if you've read that one, but I've, he talks I've, about... I haven't. I'm familiar with the book, though. Yeah. Yeah. Enough. He talks about becoming the expert and creating raving fans for your brand. And um, So it's not really like an affiliate program, right? You're just creating service that's so good that people want to tell other people about it. We, we've done affiliate programs as part of the, the, the advocacy. Um, the, there's a, a video course that we created, the virtual presenter course. I was showing you before, playing around with how I can do all sorts of crazy graphics and stuff in a meeting. Yeah. Uh, we developed that course. It's part of an affiliate program. So whenever I give a presentation that uses the tech, people will say, oh, my God, how'd you do that? Can you teach me? Well, I give them a link, which is my affiliate link to my own website. And it gets them a discount and gets them to go. Now, when somebody finishes the course, we offer them to become an affiliate. And what that means is they get the right to give any of their people $50 off. And if somebody buys the course, they get a commission. So it's 20% of what the card is. So that means that if anyone who takes our course can find five people who also can benefit from the course, the course was free. Well, we've had, we've had, situations I think now where people who've taken the course have, have almost turned it into a side gig with the amount of people that they've excited and got to take the course on how to how to do it through that affiliate program nice. and the next level of it the, the experiment is leading towards how podcasts can actually get sponsors uh, much earlier in the cycle than they ever could before because you know you're you become a podcaster, which means you had an idea, and then you get two of your buddies to listen to it. And then eventually you've got an audience. The next step where you're really in the game is when you can say, hi, this is Justin. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're sponsored by. Mm -hmm. Well, with an affiliate marketing program, we could say to you, look, tell people you're a sponsored podcast. And if anybody clicks on our link because you do such a great ad, you'll also get paid for it. But the reality is even if, even if nobody ever clicked on the link, uh, you're still a sponsored podcast, which is next level. Right. So, so they, we're, we're looking at how that can work for, for different products. There's a, a client that we have who, who manufactures a diaper rash cream. It's a formula that hasn't changed since the 1920s. Their grandfather had the business and they inherited it. And we're looking at a program. How are they going to be able to get interviewed on 100 Mommy and Me podcasts, blogs, and otherwise, and sponsor every one of them? Uh, 
why why not grow your business without paying the Google monster? Right. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about your podcast and how that came about? Just kind of reaching out to customers? Is that? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, the, the strategy behind the podcast has never been to have a million listeners and get sponsors and, and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. What, what, what our podcast, The Fangled Cast, which is on, you can find it on, on YouTube as The Fangled Cast, Fangled Cast, one word, is a, the concept of it was uh, sort of my pushback to this idea of thought leadership. Mm-hmm. You ever notice that the people who tell you they're thought leaders or, or influencers have never led a thought nor influenced anyone? Cause, yeah. Cause, yeah, because at the end of the day, who gets to decide if you're a thought leader? The people listening to you. So what we decided to do is sort of a, uh, a, for people to observe how we work at Fangled is to find topics that really matter to business people and then find an expert to have a conversation to dig deep into the, the, in, in lots of different directions about that issue. So, so for example, I had a gentleman on whose, whose business as a consultant is based on research that he's done that high levels of curiosity throughout a company give you higher productivity. So he's developed a method of measuring levels of curiosity, coaching to increase those levels, improving the increased productivity in an organization. That was an interesting conversation. Now, if somebody who listens to the podcast and goes, wow, that's really great information, it'd be great to reach out to him. But it wasn't an interview for him to brag about and sell his company. It was more about people to really understand who he is and what he does. Yeah. And most of the episodes next week, uh, I've got a gentleman on who grew up on the Navajo Nation. Actually, Dene is how they prefer to be called. And the question was, how does someone from an environment without real entrepreneurial role models get the spark and become a true entrepreneur? He has his own clothing company. Uh, coming off, you know, in, in, in a lot of the, the, the stuff that goes on on our Native American reservations and the kind of lives that they have, it's interesting that somebody could be inspired through family to to become what he's become. So we had that conversation. Yeah, it's amazing what kind of stories you can find with pretty much anybody. I mean, everybody yep. pretty much has a story. And yep. It's definitely more interesting having somebody on the podcast. I mean, my, my audience has just had to listen to me so far since you're my first guest. So, I mean, <laughs> thank you for being here again. It's It's been, I mean, a good conversation so far, and it's a lot more interesting. If, but But from this point on, I'm going to get really boring. So I apologize oh, for that okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do that. What? 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 Um, going back to sales funnels a little bit, do you map out sales funnels for your clients? Is that? It we do, and and there isn't a for for, in my experience, there isn't a specific process that works for every, every every buying cycle for a customer. And that's something that when we're building that initial strategy that we really look at. Because mm-hmm. you'll, when, when we, for example, when we're doing industrial machinery, imagine, you know, we were selling uh, st- strapping equipment where an installation could be $1.2, $1.3 million. The sales cycle for that is significantly different than a guy who's in the industrial supply area selling packaging envelopes. The, the, all of the motivators, the, 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 the levels, the sales and those things. So, so there's slight alterations in terms of the, the, in that sales funnel, the, the probabilities per stage and the merging of stages and things like that. So we, we map it specific to each project rather than go with a cookie cutter, you know, interest, delight, 
whatever how, however sure. whatever process you use. Sure. And the other yeah. thing the other thing that we've discovered is sales funnels are better when they have leaks at each stage because the data you get is extremely valuable. So, mm-hmm. you know, as you're going down through the funnel and you're reducing the motivations as to why those things leave the funnel are so important in terms of pulling out for data for research to make better funnels in the future. And also sometimes the, the valuable information can be sold and, and, and aid other companies that do things you don't that serve markets you don't serve. So there's, okay. there's, there's a, lot, a lot you can do with that data besides just you know kiss or kill. They bought, great. If not, they're dead to me. That, that process doesn't work for us. Yeah, I've noticed that with a lot of people. When their funnels fail, oh, funnels don't work, it's because they don't go in, they don't dig in, they don't you know, go through that process of finding those leaks and figuring out how to patch the holes and make their conversion rates mm-hmm. better. Or profit from the holes. You want to you go know, into one, that one, a little more? <laughs> well, like, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. One, one of our, our initiatives, we, we work with a company that has an, uh, an AI specific to industrial distribution. And what that, that AI does is it's constantly taking the data from that funnel, the yeses and the noes, and refining the, the probability of suggested, suggested items with, with a customer. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Imagine if, if uh, a, home, a Home Depot was, was selling to industry, not just, it's, you know, they've got ladders, nails, lumber, so, so they're, they're, they're now an industrial company. So they're selling fasteners, they're selling adhesives, they're selling cutting tools, all of this for the metal fab world. Mm-hmm. And you know that the customer who's in metal fabrication that you're going to be selling to fits a certain persona. So you can look at all of the data from every similar customer in the history of your company to know what are the most popular items, what order were items purchased in, all, all of that sort of stuff. So now you got a brand new salesman came on board. You got a thousand page catalog. All that salesperson needs to do to start to learn the product and and attend a customer is to look at what the AI is telling them. You've met a customer who fits in category A who does this. These are the four items that are 90% probability will open a sale for you. And you can go to that and use it. And and, and so forth as you go, go down. You've got a salesman who's satisfied because he's making enough money. The same system is through that funnel research over the past is mm-hmm. telling them, hey, there's three new people in your territory. You need to go talk to them and, and make them responsible for it. There's a whole, a whole thing behind that. But what happens is at each stage of that funnel, if that proposal went out based on the probability of sale and they get no's, it automatically in living form will adjust those probabilities. Am, am I making sense or am I getting a little into the weeds? I think so. I mean, it, it yeah. just yeah, it calculates, it <laughs> yeah. recalculates as it gets data basically yeah. for you. So if you've generated a thousand potential leads for your company at the top of the funnel, these mm-hmm. are these are what I always call, I don't call them leads. I call them suspects. I suspect there could be some business there. I haven't qualified them yet. Mm-hmm. But out of those thousand, when it gets to the next level, there's only four left. I know from that I've just learned I'm not gathering suspects properly. Right. If, if all of them are prime and they get down to the next level, then I know that I can continue to put those, those type on top. As soon as they start to get bad, I should know that. So at each, each of these stages, when it starts to leak, 
it should trigger a signal to the people involved at each level of the of that process if we get to the pitch phase where we're actually writing proposals and nobody's buying it doesn't mean that we've got a bad product it doesn't mean that we got a bad salesman what it means is that we're we're not hitting on the value that that particular customer is looking for so we're we're selling that our car is made of steel not our car is really cool or that car will will find you someone of the opposite sex who thinks you're 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 attractive or whatever that real motivator is that people buy cars for we're out talking about the fact our cars are made of steel the customer doesn't care they know it's mm -hmm. steel they want comfort or they want safety or they want you know those are so that that's what i'm talking about in terms of the the funnel being a learning a, a place to learn from not just a place to discard bad leads sure is all of that data that's calculated, is that a software technology that you've developed or do you use like a third party software that kind of There's, feeds you information? Again, depending depending on who the customer is, we, we mm -hmm. build that into their CRM. Okay. Uh, so it can be, we, we can do that as, as part of the process within uh, Dynamic, we can do it within uh, Salesforce, we can do it within uh, custom CRMs like Sugar and, and otherwise. And then there's in the AI world, um, we have if, if someone is in in the industrial distribution space with more than more than a few hundred SKUs uh, that sell, we have an actual uh, part, partner that we work with that has a software CRM of their own that's proprietary for that market. Okay, yeah, I'm like I said, I'm a little one man shop, so I use I don't know if you've heard of Funalytics, but you put a little mm -hmm, code on your what. Yeah, you put a little code on your website and it kind of calculates your conversions for mm -hmm. you through your pages. But I know with like industries and stuff, it'd be a lot more complicated to to track since it's not yeah. all on the website. And that well, think think about a company. Are you familiar with Granger? Um, farm equipment. No, Gr Granger is a. I think they have more than a million SKUs in their in their industrial supply catalog. You can get any kind of fastener, tape, testing equipment. If you went through the, if you go in someone's office who has it, I don't even know if the books are around anymore. But they're, it's it's a book that that, if if you ever get really mad at somebody, you could really do damage to them, and and they're all over the country, and they I think they have a million items in their in their book, uh -huh. so their our system if they were using it, when the customer service person answered the phone. Not only would they know what to suggest to a customer based on who they are, but they also they also would be able to to suggest additional products at the time that somebody's placing an order, because they it actually will go through all of that data and constantly update, and based on who that customer is, what in industry they're in, and what their persona is within that industry, it would provide it would provide those, those types of suggestions. Yeah, that's that's good. That's what we, I would call an upsell. So that's. Yeah, you know, well, we've seen funnels and... we've seen customers that hooked up that AI and, and within a couple of months saw the the increase in spending of their customers as much as twenty twenty five percent, and that's wow. significant. I mean, in an industry where two percent increases with customers is considered, you know, fantastic. Yeah, and a lot of people seem to be afraid to sell sell things because it seems to be like slimy. They think car salesmen, but the way you describe it, I mean, you're just giving them the next thing that helps solve their problems. So. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. When somebody says, I don't like to be sold, what they mean is, I don't like to be lied to, I don't like to be talked down to, I don't like to be pressured, and I don't like to be closed. Yeah. People love to be sold. 
What selling is, is me listening and understanding what your needs are, what your pains are, and then offering to fix those for you for money. Right. If I tell this to people all the time. It, sales is like romance. If both parties aren't enjoying it, you're not doing it right. It, I, I really, I get, it's, it's a buzz, a, a bug for me when I hear, nobody wants to be sold. I love to be sold. When somebody can solve my problems and get yeah. me what I need and, and make it easy for me and give me the best customer experience ever, I love it. Someone wants to talk, talk crap and try to you know, look at me like I'm uh, uh, as a buzzard looking at, at, at a carcass on the road because I'm their prey. That, that I don't like so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people need to get into more of that mindset that we're helping people through mm -hmm. sales. I mean, I know I had a problem with that when I was getting started was, you know, I, I can't offer anybody anything. Like, who am I to offer people something? Well, if we know the solution to their problem, then it's our job to show that to them. Yep. Yeah, it's it, and, and sales has gotten a bad rap because you, you the old car, car dealer, used car dealer adage, the the you know, the, the guy selling subprime life insurance and, yeah. you know, trying, trying to just trying to get the clothes to get you, you know, no, nobody wants to feel that. Right. But if, if the sale means I'm going to get something that's going to make me feel better, make my life better, solve my problem, people love it. Yep. Um, what was that technology you were showing me earlier with the, the wings and the, the moon? What was that called again? Well, it's, it's software. What I do is I create what's called a virtual camera. So on, on your computer, what's happening is this software is looking at your camera. Uh, on mine, I have a separate piece of software that sees my camera that then creates a camera image that goes into this. So it's like having my own little TV studio. And we sell a course. It's called the go to virtualpresentercourse.com. Um, I'll actually, if you want, when you post this, I can give you a link to put into the, yeah, so people can it. find it. And what it does is it allows me to, to control what goes on in the meeting. So, for example, when in a Zoom meeting, when people give their, their PowerPoint presentation, what happens? Their head disappears and there's a voice and you're, you're watching a boring presentation. What we do during a presentation is I'll shrink down in the presentation, have my presentation going. Somebody asks me a question, I join right back in and I can address it. And do all sorts. I mean, joking around, like, you know, if something I think is a good idea, I have a good idea. And if, uh, you know, some just want to have a little bit of fun, I can, you know, put on my bat wings sure. and make them flap around as, as it. My favorite, though, is when somebody, because, I, I, again, I'm not much into the cliches. Whenever somebody says, hey, Andrew, what's your elevator speech? I go, I don't know. Let's go to my elevator and <laughs> give my elevator speech as to what my company's about. Um, so there, there's a lot you can do with it. With webinars and green screens, I could set it up that it looks like you and I are sitting at the same table so that we're giving a presentation together at the same time. Nice. Um, there's, there's just, it's, it's, it's limitless how the creativity. We were doing a branding initiative with a client, and what I did is I, I split the screen in two. <laughs> so I had a Word document open on one side of the screen and me on the other. And as people were throwing out their suggestions and ideas, I was typing them in and they could read them on the screen. I can also create a whiteboard and actually write on the screen while we're talking. So it's just, it's an incredible tool. And it's, the software itself is free. It's an open source. It's what the kids use when they uh, play their video games on Twitch for their buddies. Okay. Um, 
but we've adapted it for how to, how to use that software for, for business purposes. Was this something that was born out of work from home and the pandemic or was this pre pandemic? Well, understand I've, I've, my career mostly was overseas. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent the first half of my adult life traveling and, and living abroad. So for me to communicate with family and otherwise, I've been video, uh, video chatting for like 20 something years since the, the before Skype existed. Um, <clears throat> so when, when the pandemic hit and everyone was, was doing it, people were already starting to feel the fatigue. So I started adapting this software out of an idea so that I could give presentations that people would never forget. Yeah. You know, how awesome. do you, and by, by the way, the software will not help if you're a crappy speaker. You, you have to have good speaking skills. You got to be able to present. Otherwise, you're a guy with a bad speech and gizmos. Yeah, but when when you you do it the right way, it really enhances you know how who you are and how you speak and and we 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 talk about it all the time. It's the only way I know that I can be present in the room when I can't physically be there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's where it came came out of. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there any advice you would give to people who need to adapt their business model to like work from home and post pandemic world? <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you've got to trust your people. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest challenge happening, you know, when it all started and the data was showing us that people were so much more productive working from home and, and happier and otherwise. And now we're at the other end of the curve where people are like, God, I, I wish I could go back to the office. I'm sick of being in the same room. I want to be around people. Um, and then there's also the question of, are people still as productive? I don't think so. Um, there's, there's only so much that, that, that can happen, especially if you're in the creative end of a business where we're being in the room and bouncing ideas off of people. Mm-hmm. It's still not the same. The software and being able to do what I do helps, you know, make it a little bit better. But uh, I, I think that that the future is still going to be a hybrid where businesses are going to be able to trust their people more that they can work from home a couple days. Uh, you know, like, for example, schools closed. And parents don't know what to do with their kids. Now, you know what? Work from home today. Yeah. It, it's it's going to be that that type of a change. But the, the number one thing is you, you've got to improve your ability to write and communicate. You've got to improve your ability to, to connect and listen. Because it's much harder through video than it is in person. You don't get those nuances. Uh, you know, when, when somebody wants to call you an idiot, all they have to do is hit the micro, hit the mute button, turn their head and go, you son of a, and then come back on. And you don't know, you can't do that in the office. Yeah. If you want to roll your eyes when someone says something that you think's dopey, you get caught in the office. On this, you can just turn the window off for a second. <laughs> yeah, my mute button was always my, my kids in the background trying to talk to people on my meetings and stuff, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 fun when the dog barks. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, and it's weird when you're in a meeting and there's three people petting their cats while you're trying to talk about something critical. <sighs> yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything else that you want to say to um, the listeners about your company or about sales funnels, sales and marketing in general? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing that I, you know, sales funnels are, are, are brilliant when they're not made from a cookie cutter. That following the same exact pattern for every, every 
project that's out there is a huge mistake. It's, it's, you still, before you can begin a sales funnel, have to go back and understand really who the customer is and how they do, where are they, how do they buy, what's the customer experience that's optimal to get them to buy, and then you can build that funnel and start to work it and constantly understand that the elimination of people through that funnel is a learning experience. And the nose don't hurt so bad when you learn something from them. Okay. So all the all the companies that have like templates and that kind of thing, you think is that a good place to start or it, you want it can to start? be. Okay. It it can be, but but you know, sales and marketing have to be involved at every step along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and never, never forget that once somebody purchased from you, if you don't continue to have a relationship with that person, you've completely destroyed the entire potential for having a massive horde of, of brand advocates out there shouting your, your praises from the hilltop. Sure. All right. Um, where can people find you and what you're offering? I'm, I'm, I'm right here. Oh, <laughs> you mean on, on the web? Our website is fangledtech.com. The podcast is thefangledcast.com. We're, we have our video production on, on YouTube under the Fangledcast, and then we're on, I don't know how many hundred of the, the other podcast places where it gets distributed audio only. Yeah. Um, we, we don't have a fax machine, so don't fax us. Our telex is broken. Smoke signals work. I don't even know what a telex is. Is that a fax no. machine? <laughs> No, no, Telex. Do you want to know what a Telex is? Yeah, go for it. You ever, you ever seen the old movies? It looks like a computer terminal kind of thing with a big keyboard that makes a lot of noise. So, so they had them in offices all over the world. It was before the internet, and each one had a unique address. Uh-huh. So on a Telex, you would type. You first add the address, and as you're typing here, if the guy you're typing to is in Bogota, Colombia, it's printing out on his machine there. Okay, and, was that, and was it was the global. <laughs> So back in the day when I used to travel internationally, before the fax machines were everywhere, you would sit in the lobby of a third world hotel and wait for a kid on a motorcycle to come back from the telex office with the response for the message you had just sent. Oh my, things have become so much easier. (laughs) Yeah, I remember when the fax machine came out, nothing could ever be better than that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has. (laughs) For sure. All right, well, Andrew, it's been great to have you on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, For those of you listening, if you want to um, check out the show notes, there'll be a transcript at mastersalesfunnels.com slash 029, and I'll also have links to Fangled Tech there for you as well. Um, As always, thanks for listening, and keep funneling.